0: Okay, hey, we're live. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. Hey, this is going to be a kind of a fun one. I wanted to do sort of a wrap-up show on all the election results here in San Diego County, particularly in my my home area, my home turf of Poway, our next-door neighbor, Rancho Bernardo. You know, we did a lot of extensive coverage of those elections, so I really want to focus on those areas. We're also going to review the. Um, the San Diego measures. We're going to review the California propositions. You know, so we're just going to have fun. You know, it's been almost... Um, Gosh, how long has it been since Election Day? It's been a little over a week. And so we're going to kind of get into that. I know they're still counting at the Registrar of Voters, but uh, we're just going to kind of offer some thoughts and comments. We welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, you can just type in your thoughts and questions. Uh, Maybe you got some reaction that you want to share about the uh, election results. Uh, Just type them in on Facebook or on YouTube, and I'll read them on the air, and we'll have a kind of a fun discussion tonight. So um, how you doing, everybody? (laughs) You know, I had a great time with our election night coverage. Gosh, it was nine days ago. And we were on for four hours on election night. Oh my God. But I had a lot of really great response. A lot of people that really enjoyed participating in that live stream. And we also, I got a lot of really positive comments afterwards and it was just very encouraging. So it's just kind of giving me more, how should I say, more encouragement, fuel to the fire to cover more local news, more local politics. I usually only do it mostly around election season, but maybe I need to do it a lot more. It seems to be resonating with the audience. So I thank you all for really following and participating. So like I said, tonight, join us on the live stream, you know, type in your questions and comments. What's been up? I mean, before, just real quick, um, last Friday, I was on the USS Abraham Lincoln for a college basketball game on an aircraft carrier in Coronado. It was Unbelievable. Uh, Gonzaga beat Michigan State what a great game great experience I was really really lucky to get tickets to go on that uh, on that aircraft carrier but what a lot of fun that was um, but, you know, so today, yeah, we're going to cover the Poway RB election results. We'll talk about city council, we'll talk about Poway mayor. Um, we're going to talk about a number of different races. Um, and then we're going to get into Poway Unified School District. Um, and we're going to talk about the San Diego County measures, the California propositions. I may even weigh in with some thoughts on national issues if we have time. I don't want this to be another four hour episode, but um, Hey, so how did, did you enjoy the voting process? You know, did it go smoothly for you? Now, for me, it was easy. You know, I just filled out the ballot that was mailed to me. I dropped it off at the Registrar of Voters drop box that was in the postal annex here in Poway. It was really convenient, really easy. And so... Um, you know, how did that work out for you? And now I know that at the registrar of voters, they're still counting these ballots, which is unbelievable. And it takes so long. And, and I like last I checked, they were at what, like about 53 percent voter turnout. I heard that they've still got, you know, a good batch of of uh, of ballots to to count. But it is kind of interesting that we're nine days out and we still don't have the final, final numbers. They still haven't fully counted everything. And it's just weird. I mean, it makes you wonder what takes so long because on one level, it makes you think of when you were in high school. Remember, you used to take those classes that were on a Scantron and, and you would just get your number two pencil and you would fill in the bubble. And then they would just take those and just run them through a scanning machine. And then an hour after your test, you had your result. You knew what your grade was. So I sometimes think that the ballots and the voting process should be similar, right? Now, obviously, they're going to double check and triple check and hand count and verify and everything else. Um, But it's funny to also compare it with, let's just say, the lottery, the lotto. You know, usually that we find out like within a day or so. I know the last big one, we had a little bit of a a wrinkle. It took them a couple of days to announce the, the winner. But it's just interesting that it takes so long. Now, meanwhile, of course, you know, our our friends on the right, you know, our Trump friends, if they were to announce a result within hours after the elections, after the polls closed, we would hear more conspiracy theories, more anger, more doubt. So it doesn't seem like you can win either way. You know, it's just there's always people complaining about the process, suspicious about the process. It's unbelievable. Uh, Just the conspiracy theories are just nuts. Okay, so. Yeah, like I said, the San Diego Richardson, voters, voters um, right now, 53.6 percent turnout. And I know in the Poway area, apparently our turnout numbers are really good. According to Amita Saravala, the president of the Poway Democratic Club, they're at around 53 percent um, or 53 percent now in the county so far. But there are around 80 or 90 in in many of the precincts, 80 to 90 percent in Poway, which is really impressive. Now, according to Heather Plotsky, Heather, of course, is a candidate for Poway School Board. Um, She says there's about, was it 15,000 or was it (laughs) 150,000 ballots to still count? Probably about, I'm assuming about 150,000 is my guess. Um, So there's still a ways to go. But it, it just is interesting when you see the numbers and we get these incremental updates the trends become pretty clear on who's going to win and who's not. Um, When there are gaps of, you know, usually the gaps will widen or the gaps will narrow and they stay consistent on that pathway. But let's talk about Heather's race. Heather is a candidate for Poway Unified School Board Area C. And right, this race is razor thin. I mean, she has 47.93% And Patrick Batten, her primary competitor, has 46.58%. There's only a difference, if I'm doing my math right, of about 170 votes, which is incredible. I mean, it's just a really, really close race in Poway Unified School Board Area C. So this is one where we may not know the results for another few days, maybe a week. I'm not sure. I mean, it might be so close. Maybe there's going to be a recount. But it just seems that the initial results had Patrick Batten ahead. And then each incremental update, it seems that Heather Plotsky was making up ground, now expanding her lead. So pretty interesting. I mean, this is one of the very few close races in the county and certainly in our Poway Rancho Bernardo area. Um, now, in Area B for Poway Unified School Board, and that's the area where I live, uh, Ginger Kouvret, the incumbent, comfortably winning. And um, she's going up against, of course, Frida Brunzel, who Frida was a candidate here on the podcast. And, um, you know, it just seems like Ginger is, like we said, doing, doing comfortably well, as we expected. Ginger, of course, has huge name recognition, a really strong personal brand. For the work she's done in our community, with the schools, in the real estate business, even before she was a school board candidate, so no real surprise that she's winning. There was a third candidate, Dan Nelson, um, that was you know pretty aggressive on the campaign trail. He's a distant third, but I remember someone had kind of framed this race, and I thought this was an interesting way to to look at it, where you know Nelson was kind of the the strong right wing candidate. Frida Brunzel, a progressive. You could say she's a strong left-wing candidate. And here's Ginger Kouvret. I I think we could say a a Republican, but – not a MAGA Republican, more of a moderate Republican. Um, at least that's how I kind of see it. And I thought that was a reasonable way to frame the election. No surprise that Ginger is winning. Of course, it's so darn hard to beat incumbents in these races. Um, and then in Area D, Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe, you know, she's, she's going to win in a landslide. It's basically a two to one ratio over her uh, competitor. She only had one person running against her. We knew this one was in the bag. You know, from the moment that uh, the the um, the campaign filing season closed, well, this was going to be obvious. So she's winning two to one um, and rolling into her third term. So congratulations to Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe. So it makes you wonder now, like what's what's coming for Poway Unified School Board? Are there going to be uh, big issues in their future? I mean, it's looking like already two of the um, uh, yeah two of the incumbents are coming back. The third person is, you know, potentially Heather Plotsky is going to be on the board. Is there going to change the dynamics there? It seems to me the big issue that's in in the near future for Poway Unified is whether or not they're going to try to get another bond on the ballot. Now, they skip this election cycle in the midterms. So maybe are they keeping their powder dry until the presidential election season when they know that they're going to have a much greater voter turnout? Um, You know, there were two other local propositions on school bonds that did pass, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. And I know that that has uh, Mary and Kim Phelps and the rest of the crew at Poway Unified probably feeling a little bit encouraged, like there, there is an opportunity that they think they can go back to the well and get voters to pass a school bond and improve the infrastructure. Of course, there is a desperate need to uh, improve the infrastructure at a lot of our schools. But heck, we're still bitter about the billion-dollar bond. Heck, we have even started paying on the billion-dollar bond. That won't, Those payments won't begin until 2033 and continue for 20 years. And now they're needing more money for another bond. Um, The last school bond was, if I recall, just under a half a billion dollars. I've heard rumors that they may be asking for more than a billion dollars. Um, So stay tuned. That's going to be a big topic that'll be coming soon. OK, so, you know, we are doing a live stream and there are comments that are flowing in already. And um, I want to get these comments visible and on the screen so everyone can participate. And the first person in the line here, Pete Neald, says 170 votes spread between Patrick Batten um, and Heather Plosky. The issue is Jason Bennett with 693 votes. See, this is interesting, too, because in a lot of these three-way races, the person that's winning or will eventually be the winner will get it without a majority vote. They're going to get it with just a plurality. Very interesting, because this is in democracy, don't we normally expect that a majority would elect a person into office? Because if you've got, let's just say, 47% of the vote. That means that 53% of the vote is against you. Um, so, I'm, I'm a big proponent of rank choice voting, also called instant runoff voting. And what's interesting here is that in this race, the one that Pete's talking about, Poway Unified Area C, um, Jason Bennett, I think, is one of the um, uh, you know kind of the pro-parent kind of candidate, if I recall, which means he's probably more of a MAGA Republican, I believe. Now, imagine if you have a uh, MAGA Republican combined with Patrick Batten, who seems to be kind of a very straightforward, traditional Republican. Um, If there are more people that are voting for Republicans than for Democrats, which we've seen in the Area C race, it's possible that Patrick Batten could win this if we had ranked choice voting. But since we don't, it's possible that Heather Plotsky is going to end up winning this, with less than 50% of the vote. We've already seen this sort of dynamic play out in Poway in District 3, which we're going to comment on. And even in uh, uh, Ginger Kouvret's race, let me go back to those numbers. Um, see, I think she's, if I recall, is she under 50%? I'm not, I think she is. So it's, um, it's crazy how some of these things sort out. OK, another comment here. And this one is from Chuck Smith. OK, this is going to be going back to all the Mike Devine, Chuck Smith, Steve Dallas. So here we go again. Chuck Smith says, why do some states count ballots so fast? And the San Diego Registrar Voters has taken over a week. They have one job to do. OK, I that's what I was commenting on early on in this podcast. I don't know their process. My hunch is they've got a very disciplined process, a process that is very thorough. They know that all eyes are on them um, as a public agency. They know about all the conspiracy theories around elections. They know they don't want to get embarrassed and do it wrong. I think they're just being triple careful. I mean, that's what it seems like. But come on. I mean, we haven't counted all the ballots yet, and we're already nine days after the uh, the polls closed. That's crazy. You would think that since so many people vote by mail, since... Um, at least two thirds, if not three quarters of the voters vote by mail, shouldn't all those ballots already be counted or the vast majority of them, especially for people that voted two or three weeks ahead of Election Day? So it is surprising. uh, But my hunch is it's government regulations and bureaucracy that is making them go slower than you'd like to see. Um, And here's another comment from Pete Neal. He's saying, yeah, 2,502 votes between Ginger and Frida." And yeah, uh, a lot of these candidates that were on the losing side and when they did the count have already issued concessions. I've seen some of their posts on Facebook and Frida was one of those. Now, of course, we had Frida uh, Brunzel here in the John Riley Project podcast studio. Just, you know, a wonderful lady. I mean, just has a lot of really, um, you know, strong ideas about our school system, about reading and dyslexia and bullying. And we talked about a lot of different issues. Um, But the voters want to reaffirm Ginger Kouvret and, you know, no disrespect to Frida, but I think that sort of makes sense just because of what we know of Ginger and what her brand image is in Poway. I mean, I jokingly referred to her as the queen of Poway, and um, that's not too far from the truth. Um, She's just very, very well known and very well received. So she would be a tough one to defeat, especially if there is no— Let's just say there's no scandal that would, you know, kind of push them out of office. Um, now, here's another comment from Chuck Smith. Nobody today is catching up to anyone. All voting supposedly ended on November 8th. It's only the ballot count release schedule that changes the leaders in the race. So, yeah, um, it seems that uh, you know, there's another one of the uh, San Diego County measures has been really close. The area C and Poway Unified really close. But generally, you could see that those trends are – the the gap is generally expanding now. It would be kind of a remarkable turn of events to see some of these close races flip in the other direction, but you never know. Uh, Chuck Smith says here, Bill Clinton only got a plurality, 42% in one, but only the um, the, the electoral vote, I guess. So yeah, in the – In the popular vote, Clinton got less than 50 percent because that was Clinton and Bush senior and Perot and and then a list of of other uh, third party candidates. Uh, And, yeah, the Electoral College does help them get to a majority. But the Electoral College, to me, is kind of a funky thing. Um, You know, as a California voter, I know that no matter what I do, My vote is effectively going to go to the Democrat. It doesn't matter if I like the Democrat or not, or I want to vote for the Republican or an independent or a third party. And California is so overwhelmingly blue. It's a winner take all state. And so all the votes go to to the, um, the Democratic candidate. I just think an electoral college is a process of how the Republicans and Democrats have sort of rigged the system in their favor to make it very, very difficult for third parties and independents to compete against the two primary parties. But yeah, Clinton got um, did not get a majority. Uh, coming down the list here, Pete Neal says, and congrats to Hiram Soto. We're going to talk about Hiram's race in a bit. Um, he's only 401 votes be- behind. He did better than I could. Pete, of course, was a candidate in 2018. And Chuck Smith says the Electoral College is what counts for POTUS, not the majority vote. Yeah, it does, but it's a, in my opinion a very flawed system. Um, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the Poway mayoral race um, because that to me is is there's a, there's a couple of storylines there as well. So um, let's go back to this here. So Steve Voss is the mayor of Poway. Steve Voss, the the man in the cowboy hat, uh, the mayor of the city and the country, the man with the alter ego Buck Howdy. Steve Voss came in and won pretty handily, I think as most people expected he has won a third term as mayor um, and he's got a little over fifty five percent of the vote and th- to me this the interesting storyline is this is that in twenty eighteen in that election, Steve Voss got uh i think it was sixty two and a half percent and the opposition had forty seven am I getting that right uh 62.5%, and the opposition had, I think, 38.5%. So it was a 25-point spread. He won by 25 points in 2018, which is an overwhelming—that's that's like landslide material. That's like two-to-one ratio almost. This, I predicted all along that Voss would win, but the, the margin would be a lot narrower. And sure enough, it is. In rough terms, it's looking like it's going to be about 56% to forty-four percent, so that margin of victory is actually technically eleven point three eight points. So the margin of victory went from twenty-five points to eleven and change. So the margin of victory was cut by over half in the mayor for uh, the race for Poway mayor. That's interesting to me. That's reflective of I think there's a there's a certain uh, dissatisfaction about what's happening in Poway with. The construction, the development, and a lot of other issues, and I would say that the let's just say the opposition voices to Mayor Voss have been louder than they've been in previous election cycles. But overall, let's be real: Voss won. Voss didn't lose. Voss won, and so already I'm seeing statements from Steve Voss saying, "Hey, uh, you know, thanks for you know the vote. Appreciate the support." and what this means to me is that Poway is you know on the right track this is reaffirming the leadership in Poway reaffirming Mayor Voss's agenda and really reaffirming all the disruption in Poway that what i'm hearing here is that the voters indirectly or perhaps directly are supportive of all these projects. The projects on Poway Road, the projects at the farm in Poway and in other parts of the city. So very interesting. So it seems as always, there is this vocal minority that has been extra vocal and had a lot more influence in this election cycle. But there is always the silent majority that's like stealth. And they just show up and they support Voss and a lot of candidates that are aligned with Voss. And that's what we're getting. Um, So... Now, what's going to happen in the future? This is what I'm curious about. Because remember, Steve Voss ran for San Diego County supervisor in 2020 and lost by the narrowest of margins, by a crazy close race. Um, And would he run again in 2024 uh, against Joel Anderson, who was the person he lost to um, in 2020? My hunch is, is that it would be tough for Voss to go back to the well. I know he lost by by such a a narrow margin, but Anderson seems to be doing a lot of things that people are pleased with. Um, While the county has definitely been skewing more blue than red as a general trend, there's actually some Democrats that are happy with what Joel Anderson is doing in a couple of different categories. So is Joel Anderson sort of building up a, a larger base? Is he becoming a more difficult candidate to defeat? Perhaps. But does Voss have aspirations for higher office? Would he shift gears and maybe look to run for assembly? I mean, I think Brian Mainshine is going to win, but I believe this is his last election. I think he's going to term out. So that would be a wide open field for state assembly when Mayor Voss want to go and try to compete for a job up in Sacramento. To me, this is very intriguing uh, because Steve Voss has already shown his ambitiousness for higher office. Will he show it again? Or is he just going to, you know, ride off into the sunset as the mayor of of Poway after three and possibly even four terms? Um, We'll find out in the future. To me, it's interesting. And then who's going to come forward and run? Um, You know, I think there's been a lot of questions about whether a current or former city council person would ever potentially run for mayor against Steve Voss? One of the names that has come up from time to time is Jim Cunningham, um, who uh, was on city council, a Democrat who offered a different point of view than most of the Republicans on the city hall or on the city council. Would he be a candidate or might we see some new names or new faces um, from the business community or from other parts of Poway? I'm curious. Um, I think Delta Esparza, uh did a formidable job. I mean, Delta stood up and was very brave and courageous and ran a strong campaign against Mayor Voss. Got the lion's share, if not all, of the anti-Voss vote, but it wasn't enough, you know, because because of, I think of that old Poway guard. So, what's going to happen in the future, you know? And then, by the way, has has there ever been a politician in Poway? that has successfully moved on outside of Poway. And the one name that comes forward is is Jan Goldsmith, who I believe was city attorney, I think, um, in, in San Diego. And I know he had some other office. Um, he obviously moved out of Poway to pursue those opportunities. But generally, most politicians in Poway have not had success or frankly, just not even pursued higher office outside of the city. So curious to see... What's going to happen? You know, Poway's kind of a political cul-de-sac, if you will. OK, we're going to start talking here in a bit about the um, the Poway City Council races. But before we do, I just want to go back to the live stream. We've got some more comments coming in. And from Tony Russo, hey, Tony, of course, was a candidate for District 3. He says, good luck to all the winners and happy holidays to you and your family, Johnny. It was a joy running and meeting so many people and making new friends and seeing old ones. Yeah, to me, that's, that's the great thing. You know, if, if any of you out there that are listening or watching this podcast, if you have ever considered running for local political office, um, I can just tell you it's a lot of work. And it can be a bit scary kind of putting yourself out there. But I'll tell you what, the rewards in terms of friendships, the rewards in terms of meeting new people and building relationships in terms of listening to what the community is asking for and to share your thoughts and solutions on some of the problems in our community. I mean, that's a really rewarding and fulfilling experience. It was just, it feels good. (laughs) I could say that as a a former candidate that came up short. Um, It's just a wonderful part of the process. And you learn so much as a candidate, Uh, because not only do you have to ramp up on all the major issues that your city council, your school board, or what have you is facing, but you also really get to understand the perspective of the voters and what are some of their driving issues. And you learn how well or how unwell our local government agencies are performing. So um, can't speak enough to any future candidates. I encourage you, if you're ever on the fence considering it, go for it. You know, it's a, it's a bucket list thing in your lifetime. You know, YOLO, you only live once. Um, so go for it. And it, you'll be pleasantly rewarded, even if you do come up short in the process. Um, here's another comment here from Pete Neald on the live stream. All the Poway mayoral race count is... 19,276 speaking on behalf of the 53,000 residents. Sad. Uh, But that total is less than the total votes for your neighbor, Pete Murray, winning with 51.29%. But there are 829,277 for the Superior Court number 36. Pete getting 425,356 votes. So yeah, with all the numbers there, Pete Murray, my neighbor, is running for superior court judge. We're going to talk about his race in a moment, but yeah, that's a countywide race. I mean, imagine trying to campaign countywide—unbelievable. That's really hard to do. But here in Poway, our voter turnout's usually pretty good. Now, granted, this is a um, a midterm election, so you're not going to get as much as in a presidential election, and at the same time. Uh, not all the votes have been counted, right? So there's still a ways to go here. And then of course, out of the 50, what is it? 53,000 people that live here. I mean, how many of them are not old enough to vote, you know, or uh, or in, are ineligible to vote for any number of reasons. So I'm curious to see what the final voter turnout is here in Poway and even in our, uh, in the, in the precincts in, in our Rancho Bernardo neighborhoods. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. I, I think they're going to be really good because they typically always are. Okay, let's um, let's get back and let's talk a little bit about the Poway City Council races. Um, to me, th- these were really interesting as well. And we had two, of course, two districts. First, we had District 1. This was the one that got a lot of attention, um, not just attention from people in our local Uh, Poway area, or not just attention from District 1 or attention from Poway, but this race got attention from outside of Poway. Um, And we talked a lot about that, where there was so much outside of Poway money flowing into this race in the form of individual donations, in the form of political action committees. I mean, it was surprising how much, I mean, Brian Pepin won the race. I was told that he raised on his own approximately $70,000, I mean, which is just, again, I haven't verified that number, but if that's true, that is mind-boggling for a city council district-level race. Um, I mean, I'm, some, I'm sure some of you can tell me how many votes uh, actually came in from that race, and then you can kind of do the dollar per vote average if you want to look at it from that perspective. It's uh, it's remarkable how much he raised. Um, and he won um, and it looks like he won uh, 50, well, just say 54% to 46% without getting into the decimal positions, apparently a 401 vote difference in District 1. So a, a, it's close, but it's not close, right? You know, you look at 401 votes, you think, oh, that's pretty close. But it's, it's a, uh, like an eight-point spread, eight and a half point spread, something like that. So, you know, that's a pretty handy victory there for Brian Pepin. But my gosh, there was just so much, you know, depending on your point of view, either mudslinging or messaging <laughs> in this particular race. Uh, there were lies that were being told. Um, I, I know the Hiram Soto um, supporters were furious at Brian Pepin and his supporters um, about the messaging and the distortions that were being said. But you know what? Uh, Brian Pepin is strongly aligned with Steve Voss. Steve Voss won, Brian Pepin won. No surprise. Brian Pepin is, of course, served on the Poway Budget Review Committee for, I think, two terms. So pretty well educated on what's going on in our city, but also very politically aligned um, with, like I said, the old Poway Guard here in town. But at the same time, Brian Pepin is a very very wise politician, um, understands what is required in a race to win uh, because he's run so many other campaigns for so many other Republican candidates. Um, Also has a lot of experience being the uh, president of the Lincoln Club, um, another kind of Republican uh, business lobbying organization. So Brian Pepin knows what it takes to win these races. So the fact that he did win in a community like Poway and was aligned with Mayor Voss, not a real surprise. I did think, though, that of all of the, let's just call them change candidates in Poway, uh, in District 1, District 3, or even for the mayor, I thought Soto had the greatest opportunity to win of the three change candidates. But I still knew that he would have a tough go uh, because of the way elections typically run in Poway. Um, So, Not a surprise Pepin won, but I know there's just a lot of really disappointed Soto supporters out there. Now, I'm curious to see what is Brian Pepin going to be like on the city council? Um, Are we going to expect similar messaging as an elected politician as he was as a candidate? Um, I'm curious about that. I'm curious to learn more about them. Um, And then in my own district, I live in District 3 here in Poway uh, Peter De Hoff is at 44% and change. These numbers from a percentage basis don't seem to have changed much. Uh, Peter De Hoff, 44%. Kevin Jouza, 36% and change. Uh, Tony Russo, 19.58% last I checked. So, Peter De Hoff, you know, his campaign slogan was stay the course. So, stay the course one in District Three. Um, stay the course won in District 1, stay the course One at the mayorals race, and stay the course also won in two of the three Poway Unified School Board races because incumbents were reelected there as well. And in Area C, the one that Heather Plotsky appears that she's um, poised for victory, that was a race where the incumbent chose not to run, which again is one of the mysteries of, of why TJ Zane didn't run for that race. So this whole idea of kind of reaffirming the status quo was a consistent theme in Poway and in Rancho Bernardo. So what does that mean then? I mean, because we're looking around Poway and there is a lot going on. I mean, there's so many projects. The, the farm in Poway, um, there's construction on the side of Twin Peaks, at the intersection of, of Twin Peaks and Pomerado, there's the construction project that's about to be built um, at the Holly Oak Twin Peaks area, kind of across the street from St. Gabriel's Catholic Church. Um, there is the development along Poway Road. There's the three developments, right? The outpost, the commons, which is close to finished. the outpost stall, the commons close to finished, and the Fairfield project, which, um, you know, they've been busy, but- They haven't started framing the large apartment complex. And I think there's more projects in store. I think there's another one kind of off of Oak Knoll that's going to be built at some point in the future. Um, And I know there's there's a number of other sites in Poway that are being, you know, have either been approved or are being targeted for more development. I think what this means is is that we can expect more of that. Now, you know, I'm generally, generally speaking, I'm supportive of more housing. Uh, I think- we have a housing crisis in this country, in this county, in this city. We have a housing crisis. Not enough inventory. Prices are crazy high because of a lack of inventory, because of a lack of supply in the face of high demand. Uh, so I'm generally supportive of more housing, um, and especially on Poway Road, that really parts of Poway Road really needed a facelift, in my opinion. Um, but uh, it is it is interesting. I think we learned through this campaign season that there's a lot going on behind the curtain, um, or in some cases in plain view, as far as how the development development community developers are working to fund candidates and how candidates then are returning the favor and approving these projects in town. Um, That seems to be a theme, but really that's nothing new. Uh, That's often what always happens when candidates are getting significant donations. We see that at the school board level, where you get candidates that are endorsed by the teachers union. And then when it comes time to approve a new teacher's contract to give them raises, then those candidates that were supported by the teachers union typically will support those raises. No surprise. True, Also here in the Poway community and the city council, when it comes to um, employment contracts for our sheriff and our fire department and a lot of other organizations here that are part of the city uh, the city agency. So uh, what can we expect in the future? I think this is shar- sharing with us that the voters generally are supportive of all the change in Poway. It's funny how the status quo candidates are the ones for change and the change candidates are the ones that want to stop the change, uh, which is kind of funny how that shakes out. But Essentially, that's what the message is from the voters. Now, what's going to happen in the next election cycle? In the 2024 race, D- uh, District 2, which is currently Barry Leonard's seat, is up for reelection, And then District 4, which is currently held by Kalen Frank, um, is also up for reelection. Now, my hunch is, is that both of those um, incumbents will run again. Um, my, uh, that's assuming that Mayor Voss remains as mayor. If if Mayor Voss were to, for some reason, move on to another race or pursue another office, Kaylin Frank and Barry Leonard, you've got to think, would be two very strong potential mayor candidates should they choose to run. Um, And if they had to be an interim appointment for a mayor, which appointments on city council seem to be common these days, um, you would think that those two would probably be very likely uh, to be put into that position. So Very curious. Now, I'm also hearing rumors about other potential candidates. You know, we've talked about uh, Ginger Kouvret. You know, she is on Poway School Board, but there have been rumors that she was going to run for city council. Could she maybe switch gears and run on Poway City Council? Or could her husband, John Kouvret, who's another kind of community dynamo, has had leadership positions in the Poway Chamber of Commerce, as the president of the local Kiwanis Club. Could John Kouvret possibly Run for office? And could the two of them possibly hold office together? Um, One at Poway City Council and one at Poway Unified School District. Wouldn't that be something? Um, I think that's not out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, keep your eyes and ears peeled for both of the couvrets. Wow, so much going on. Um, Got a couple more comments here on the live stream. Let's see what we got. And uh, (laughs) this is from Pete Neal. He says, yeah, you are right. Um, too many numbers. I started off the day this morning working on the numbers of our clinical trials. I'm calling it quits. I catch the rest of the recording, have it ready by the morning. Good night, John. Yeah, I'm starting this one kind of late. I was going to do a podcast on Tuesday, but just wasn't fully organized and uh, wanted to get in one this week, you know, before we get into the holiday week and people kind of checking out. So happy that those of you that are joining the live stream with me, I appreciate your support. Um, But I always like kind of commenting on some of these local district uh, races, mayoral races, school board races in our community, because frankly, there's just not a lot of coverage of this, right? I mean, our local newspapers, you know, do a yeoman's job to a degree, but they're kind of short staffed. They don't have the resources and they typically don't have strong commentary. Um, It's usually just sort of straight ahead voting, or excuse me, straight ahead reporting, which is wonderful. But I think we can use always more of this sort of... uh, commentary, analysis on local news, local politics, business community. And like I said, I was getting a lot of really positive reinforcement from um, listeners and viewers over the past few weeks. It's kind of making me sort of rethink things, you know, as it pertains to the John Riley Project. So um, now, before we move on to some of the countywide races, I I just want to let you know, if you, if you love Poway, I've um, go, got a couple of uh, websites you can go check out. You can go to Powayisawesome.com, Powayisawesome.com. And there you can download for free um, wallpaper that you can use on your computer, your tablet, or your telephone with photography of Lake Poway, of Old Poway Park of Iron Mountain and a lot of other great places around our beautiful city in the country. So you can go to Powayisawesome.com. Or if you want to just get some Poway gear, some some shirts or mugs or any kinds of interesting items that kind of proudly display the, the city of Poway, go to Powaystore.com. It's an e-commerce store that I built and you can buy some Poway merch there. Okay, let's move on and talk briefly about some of these countywide races. And Um, just really neat to see, like we were talking just very briefly about, um, my neighbor is Pete Murray and, uh, Pete appears that he's going to win this race for superior court, um, judge office number 36. He's running against, it's Pete Murray running against Peter Singer. So there's two Petes. it's Pete on Pete. Um, and Pete Murray My neighbor, 51.29 percent. So um, looks like he's going to win this by roughly 3 percent. This gap was a lot narrower. It was less than 1 percent on election night, and it's just been gradually growing. And so the gap between these these two candidates is about 20,000 votes. Looks like he's going to win. Now, um, Pete Murray is – is a man of character. I'll tell you what, he sat down here with me in the podcast studio. We had a great conversation, learned a lot about what's happening in our court system, um, all the challenges in our court system, and a lot of the challenges because of COVID threw a real curveball in the criminal justice system. We talked about criminal justice reform, so many really interesting topics that are major national issues. But he was able to share with us what's happening at the local level. Um, So if you just want to get schooled on what's going on with our local courts, by all means, go back and check out the podcast. Um, In fact, Pete and I have done three podcast episodes, Um, one when he was a candidate in 2020, one this one when he was a candidate in 2022. And then we also did a podcast around the topic of the Trump impeachment and Pete offered some really good um, insight and commentary on the process of impeachment Um, without really weighing in too much, if I recall, too much on whether he's pro-Trump or anti-Trump. He wanted to educate people on how an impeachment works, what an impeachment means, and what it's going to take to remove a president from office. And wouldn't you love to hear that from a gentleman that knows the law? And that's Pete Murray. So I'm happy to hear that um, he's winning, he's likely to win. And if you're an elected judge, it's really hard to lose a future race because usually, if you're a sitting judge and there's nothing going wrong, and you're not Rose Bird or some other kind of uh, you know scandal or crisis that's surrounding your name. Then the judges typically will not have a competitor. In fact, I think if they don't have a competitor, they don't they don't appear on the ballot at all. This is the way my I, my understanding of how it works. So if Pete Murray wins this, and it looks like he will, um, wow! What a career! Started out as uh, an assistant district attorney here in uh, the county of San Diego. Uh, was a private practice attorney, had his own practice. You know, put a put his own shingle up or his own sign up on the front door, and defended uh, private parties. Um, def- you know, was a public defend, not a public defender, but a a private <laughs> defender. Was a defense attorney. Then went on to work as uh, an associate um, attorney general or deputy attorney general for the state of California. I mean, he's done a lot of great things. Now a judge is looking like it's in his future, and uh, what a great way to kind of, you know, kind of close out your career in the in the uh, in the field of law. So good on you, Pete Murray. Very happy to see your success. Okay, um, let's see here. How are we doing? We're at forty-two minutes. I don't want this to be a another four hour one, but I want to comment a bit on the San Diego County uh, uh, measures and the California state propositions. And Chuck Smith on the live stream says, yeah, the recent Pete Murray podcast was awesome. The court system seemed troubled. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was probably still is. I mean, there were so many backlogs with COVID because they couldn't have cases and they were doing some of them like they were having cases on Zoom. I mean, How can you really get a fair trial when you're on Zoom? So there was a backlog and all kinds of challenges. So yeah, if you want to learn more about our local court systems, wow, that was incredible. Okay, let's move on. And again, this is a live stream. We welcome your thoughts and comments. Just type them in on the Facebook or YouTube uh, chat feature, and I'll see them here on my screen, and we will get you involved in the conversation. Okay, let's switch gears and let's talk about the San Diego County local measure results. Now, Pete Neeld and I did a podcast all about the propositions and the local measures. We went through these, not every one of them in detail, but it was interesting to see how the voters responded on these. Now, granted, almost all of these were outside of our hometown of Poway. I think only one of them kind of applied here locally. The rest of them were in local jurisdictions, in Solana Beach, in Escondido, in Chula Vista or Lemon Grove, El Cajon. They all had their own unique little ballot measures around certain topics that were important in their city. Now, the big one was Measure A. Now, Measure A was the one that was going to apply a tax on cannabis dispensaries, on you know, marijuana stores essentially, in the county's unincorporated land, you know, so not in a you know, an actual municipality, a legal city, but in towns like Ramona or Julian or Pine Valley, um, those kinds of areas are unincorporated turf. And many of the cities have enacted a marijuana tax. Now they wanted to apply one to all these unincorporated areas. So there's essentially almost marijuana taxes everywhere in the county in varying degrees. Um, This appears that it's gonna eat pass easily last I checked fifty seven point four one percent I was a big no on this um i I just think um when you are taxing marijuana people too many people i think see this marijuana business as a cash cow for government like some kind of opportunity they can swoop in and tax um like that like that is the primary benefit of all of this it's not um, it, cannabis is a medicine um, cannabis is something i mean we wouldn't want to tax medicine would we i think it's against the law to tax medicine when you go to your local pharmacy um, so i was a big no on this uh, yeah, mainly for that reason. I just don't like that sort of people seeing it as an opportunity to seize more cash, to fund more programs. This is some, and besides, when you tax legal marijuana, that only creates incentives to buy illegal marijuana. It provides greater incentive to buy In the black market, Um, so but it I kind of figured this was going to pass because it's so trendy um, that these these marijuana taxes pass, and it looks like it will. Now, this other one, Measure B, this is the other super duper close one, Um, and this race uh, is about whether or not single family homes in San Diego would have to pay a line item fee for trash collection. Right now, it's included in their property taxes, but only for if you want to have a single family home. If you have a commercial property or if you have an apartment building, well, then there's an actual line item you have to pay for trash collection. But if you have a single family home, it's bundled into your property taxes. So there were some really interesting arguments on both sides of this. The the no people said, no way, man. We don't want you to raise our rates. You know, this would be an, an effective fee increase, tax increase. It would cost people more money. Fair point. On the other hand, um, there are a lot of people saying, well, this is unbalanced. Why, why do single family homeowners get uh, you know, get it through their property taxes, but all the other kinds of property doesn't? Why is there this uh, disparity? Why isn't there equality under the law? That's kind of where I lined up on this. I, and I was a yes on this. Um, I wanted to see this pass uh, just so there was consistency. But um, that's apparently how it's tracking, but just barely. 50.36% is for, yes, only a 3,000 vote difference for the whole city of San Diego. And this was trending, I believe, as a no, like 49 point something percent. But in one of the more recent incremental updates, it flipped the other way. So keep your eye on this one. This is one that might flip back the other direction. Um, Measure C is passing at 51.13%. This is the one to remove the 30-foot limit on buildings around the sports arena area. I'm really happy this one's passing because a similar measure passed previously, and then th- by some snafu, it didn't meet the legal requirements. So they had to go back to the well again and get voters to approve it again. And this time, they dodged their I's and crossed their T's and got it right. Um, I have a client, one of my clients is, is on Sports Arena Boulevard, and right next to the Sports Arena. And I'm telling you, that place is a disaster. Um, really, I mean, it's just a lot of trash. Um, there's a lot of homelessness there. There's a lot of unkept road maintenance, a lot of unkept um, property maintenance in that area, because everyone's been in this limbo knowing there's going to be a plan to redevelop it, but then it keeps getting stalled or hung up in courts. They really need to step up and revitalize that community. And what a great opportunity to build new housing, potentially build it around mass transit and do it with a a updated rebuilt sports arena. Wouldn't that be great? Um, But in order to make that work and to be a viable project, you can't build enough housing horizontally because there's not enough space. You need to build vertically. So uh, it looks like this is going to pass just barely, 51.13%. So hopefully that'll hang on. And then hopefully when we get near the end of the finish line here, we'll see a new sports arena. Wouldn't that be great? I remember they had the 1975 NCAA Final Four there. And apparently John Wooden was the coach of UCLA. I think that was the last year he won the NCAA championship. And he was not happy with that facility. And he just thought it was a dump. And yeah, the, the Clippers played there for a while. But yeah, it's that's a pretty, that stadium really needs to be blown up or or a sports arena it needs to be blown up. And they've approved the acoustics in there for some concerts. I, I've seen a bunch of really good shows there. I saw Rush there in 2015. I think it was 2015. It was like the last concert tour before Neil Peart died. Um, saw Van Halen there uh, with Sammy Hagar, like in the late 80s. That was a great show. Um, I saw, My wife and I went there and we saw um, Cher and Cyndi Lauper. And that was a really, really fun show. I enjoyed that. So uh, hopefully the new sports arena is built and the acoustics are better. It's a better concert venue. I don't know if it's going to be big enough to attract an NBA or an NHL team, but hopefully they rethink that. But I'm happy that this passed because now we can get on with the program to revitalize and redevelop that area. Um, Measure D was one. I didn't really have much of an opinion. This was having to do with um, contractors that were hired by the city and whether or not they were union. I was not really fully informed on this one. And granted, I don't vote on any of these because these are all city of San Diego. Um, but this is winning 57.69%. Um, yeah a lot of it has to do with whether they 're hiring contractors that are union um, and paying prevailing wage or not. Some could say that is going to add to the expense for some projects in the in the city of San Diego, but on the other hand, they were missing out on getting funding from the state because they didn't ha- they didn 't meet this qualification so it kind of cuts both ways. Um, measure h in San Diego this is child care in city parks that one 's passing. Sixty-eight percent. I mean, that's huge. Uh, so that one's passing very strongly. I'm happy to hear that. Measure J was the Carlsbad pool renovation. Um, this one's barely squeaking by at fifty-one point two percent. This was was amazing. With this particular topic, is that the the re, the rebuild of that pool was going to be between twenty and twenty-five million dollars, if I recall. That's a lot of money. I don't know what they're building there. Are they building like a um, you know, a, a a crazy water park resort? Um, or is it just a city community pool? I mean, what's going on out there? Uh, but it passed. And so the voters seem to like it. My hunch is it ain't going to be free either. I mean, they're probably still going to have to pay admission to get in on top of the um, this proposal, which I think is for bonds to fund it. Okay. Then there were a bunch of different cities that had tax measures on the bills, on the on the bill. And most of them failed. So alcohol measure P had a one cent sales tax that failed 60 to 40 uh, measure L, a cannabis tax. Um, that one passed 65%. Uh, measure E and Escondido is a three quarter cent sales tax. That one um, is losing, but just barely 50.66%, 50. 50.66%. 50. No, um, I was happy to hear that. Uh, Imperial beach had a transit occupancy tax, which is, you know, essentially a tax on tourists and hotels and that's passing, but that was not called a tax increase. It was conveniently titled the quality of life measure because <laughs> they wanted to use the, the, those dollars to fund a lot of different programs in the city of Imperial beach. And then measure S Solana beach, a one cent sales tax, that one passing overwhelmingly, uh, two to one, 66.66%. the uh, the, uh, the Antichrist number with an extra six. So uh, actually, I take that back. It sounds like there were five tax, measures, tax increase measures and f- three of the five appear to be passing. Um, so this, again, proves that I think people don't necessarily vote their pocketbook. That's a common misunderstanding. Um, people think that they vote for what's in their financial best interest. I think people vote based on whatever their moral code is. They vote for what they think is right. They vote for what they think is good, um, even if it penalizes them. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of these tax increase cases. Interestingly, in more wealthy communities like Solana Beach, it seems to pass at a stronger level than it does in less wealthy communities. Okay, Um, and there were two bond measures. And remember, we said Poway Unified likely looking at another school bond in their near future uh, the Poway Unified School Board and Marion Kim Phelps, the superintendent, have to be very encouraged seeing these numbers. Measure Q, in the Lemon Grove Elementary $27 million school bond, is passing with 69% of the vote. So that's over two-thirds. And Measure S, San Diego Unified, a $2.1 billion, with a B, billion bond, passing with 65% of the vote. So what's interesting is with... Um, School bonds, you need 55%. It used to be, remember, you needed two-thirds to get school bonds passed, but they would always fall short. And so they changed the rule and lowered it to 55%. And now a lot of these are passing. Now, interestingly, in some cases, like the Lemon Grove one, it would have passed with two-thirds. Uh, but it looks like both of these are passing. Of course, I vote no. I vote no on every bond, and I vote no on every tax increase, no matter what. Period, <laughs> full stop. Uh, that's usually what I do. Now, granted, I know I'm only one vote. I can't change the outcome of these races. Um, but I want to make sure that if 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 the if our local government agencies are intending to tax more or spend more, then They can do it. They're just not going to do it with my support. Um, They are going to have to fight the good fight and try to get the community overall to go in their favor, as any election would be. Um, We already spend way the heck too much. Um, Poway Unified has a budget of $450 million a year. And somehow, some way, they can't repair the Poway gym locker rooms when they're getting nearly a half a billion dollars a year in revenue. Um, And they... and. They were struggling to fix the the air conditioning at Rancho Bernardo High School and uh, Bernardo Heights Middle School, even though they had nearly a half a billion dollars in revenue and a huge surplus and one of the strongest levels of reserves in a long time. Now, they eventually decided to spend those reserves to fund that air conditioning system, which I was happy to hear. We need more of that kind of thinking rather than constantly going to the well, especially when people are paying bond after bond after bond. When you look at your property tax bill, for some people, there's a lot of layers that are added to it. Okay. Um, One other local race to to me that was very, very interesting was Measure F. And this was the term limit initiative in Escondido. This one passing with 82% of the vote. Oh my God, this is great. Um, I like seeing term limits um, because We see it here in our local community. Um, It's really hard to beat an incumbent. And granted, if an incumbent is doing a good job, you want to reelect them, sure, I get that. Um, But incumbents have such a massive advantage. Um, They are more well-known. They are already uh, in the local media. Some might say they're already celebrities um, that have a strong personal brand. They have the advantages of... Um, um, often of funding um, from a lot of special interest groups and the local political parties. They just have a lot of things going for them. And for for challengers, unless you're extraordinarily well-organized and well-funded, it's really hard for a challenger to win. Oh, Of course, unless there's some kind of a scandal or some sort of impropriety and an incumbent chooses to run again. That's why a lot of times you don't see many challengers running against incumbents, it's usually not until the incumbent retires or moves on to another office that you'll see challengers step in. I like term limits. Um, I Just the whole concept of having fresh ideas, fresh blood, and the idea of making it, um, how should I say, that that a challenger knows that they've got a shot. Um, To me, that's important. And sometimes incumbents just sort of get too entrenched, too entrenched in the system that they've created. They become a product of their own system. Um, and in some ways, that can be very unhealthy. So, love seeing term limits pass overwhelmingly. I would love to see this come to my city of Poway. Now, there are a couple of other interesting ones, like the Measure G and Escondido. of the voters said, reduce the city treasurer compensation. They want to give him a pay cut or him or her a pay cut. And that's passing overwhelmingly, 83%. Um, And then a bunch of other cities, they had a variety of different like updates to their city charter about who could be appointed rather than elected, mostly bureaucratic, not too um, pivotal. In what's happening in their local community. But interesting to see how these races shook out. I mean, they're kind of going the way that I expected them to go. I, I know that my position on a lot of these things are not always aligned with the majority. I kind of know that. Uh, but I'm always just fascinated to see how this plays out. Okay. So um, we are going to take a quick look at the statewide propositions and then call it a night. Uh, but before we do... Um, I just want to put this out there. If, if you like what we're doing here with the John Riley Project, if you like uh, seeing more news coverage, analysis, commentary on local politics, local news, maybe on the local business community, you can support what we're doing here. If you go to my website, um in the top menu, there's a button there to click to donate. I mean, you can donate to this. Um, and you know, kind of like a trade, right? I offer you value, you offer me value. So if you'd like to donate to the John Riley project, you can donate 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever you feel like. And there are no, <laughs> there are no, uh, donation limits unlike in uh, city council races. Um, but if you like to do that, I'd be, you know, very honored, uh, to, uh, uh, to earn your support. And so uh you, and you can donate one time you can make a monthly contribution if you so choose. Uh that's on johnreillyproject.com. Okay, moving along. Okay, let's talk about the statewide propositions. 85% of the votes are in uh you know across the state. So these are pretty much done deals. Prop 1, the right to abortion and contraceptives, which I was a huge supporter of, um is passing with 66% of the vote. Um, That's great. um, But I was surprised that it only got 66%. I I would think in a state like California, it would be like over 70. And granted, I know there's a a good number of, um, uh, how should I say, conservative voters, religious voters that maybe oppose this. And, you know, having a conversation with Pete Neal, there are some people that maybe were concerned about this simply because it was a constitutional amendment. Um, but I'm still surprised it's only 66%. I mean, if any state in the, the state of the, uh, the union would vote for reproductive rights, contraceptive rights, California would be at the top of the list. So anyways, that's winning handily. And I'm really happy to hear that. Now, these next two are the gambling ones, which these are still upsetting to me, um, on how it's sorted out. So prop 26, is um is losing and so is and 27 as well in fact they both lost overwhelmingly now prop 26 was simply going to allow the native american casinos the tribes to expand their casino operations to allow for betting on sports so they could bet you know people could go to the casino and you know you're already there playing blackjack or doing a slot machine or playing some funky ass way of doing craps Um, And you could have just had a sports book there and you could have bet on horse races. You could have bet on NFL games, NBA games, MLB games, college football games, just like you were in Vegas. And voters said no. They they also in that proposition was to allow people to play games like roulette or dice games. Um, But those are somehow illegal in in, um, the state of California, which is bananas. I mean, if they're already allowing... Uh, blackjack, if they're already allowing forms of poker, if they're already allowing um, slot machines, why are dice games suddenly illegal? I mean, this seems like like the moral police, the nanny state jumping in here. Maybe they think guys that roll dice are the ones that, that gamble in back alleys. I don't know where this is coming from. And then the sports betting, it's like What's the deal? I mean, we already have legal racetracks where you can bet on horses. Why not be able to vote or bet on them in casinos? And at the same time, there is already so much sports gaming that is going on that's just happening in the black market, happening illegally. So, But still, this is losing um, 67%. no on this proposition. And in Props 27, this was to legalize betting on sports, like on your cell phone, like on the FanDuel application or the DraftKings application. That one's losing even more overwhelmingly. 82% no on sports gambling on your mobile device. Now, I think a lot of the reason that people are voting no on this, I mean, there's some people that are anti-gambling especially people that maybe kind of have more of a religious angle, or perhaps they've had family members that have had gambling addictions. But the other part to this is, is there was so much misinformation in these campaigns. Rarely did you hear people talk about that. This is simply to allow people to, to bet on sports. It was always about how much money was going to the homeless and how much money was going to small tribes and how much money was going to out of state corporations it was all this other misdirection. And in my opinion, it was, it's, it's kind of this idea of how they use altruism in a lot of these races to try to misdirect who's actually benefiting, who the primary beneficiary is. I mean, consider uh, Prop 26. Who would benefit if Prop 26 passed? I mean, this was the uh, sports gaming and the dice games and roulette in casinos. Well, obviously – the Indian casinos would benefit from that, right? But they weren't making it about allowing that gambling. It was more about, well, if that money was gambled and then the state got a cut of that taxes, where was that money going? So it was more about this, this notion of who the third party would be the one that would be winning from this transaction, um, rather than just saying what it is, um, you know, rather than casinos saying we are a casino, we should allow gambling. That's what we do in casinos, and we don't have these archaic, arbitrary rules that we allow cards but we don't allow dice. I mean, silly things like that. They made it about the homelessness. They they made it about all these other distractions and made that the primary message. And I think that confused voters and got them off focus. So that one is 26 and 27 are losing overwhelmingly. Kind of figured they would. Of course, I was a big yes on those. OK, we've got a couple more we're going to get to, but I got a few more comments on the live stream that I want to kind of check in and see how our folks are doing. Um, and this is uh, from Chuck Smith. There are conservatives that are anti-rules. Well, True, but only in certain categories. Uh, there might be some conservatives that are anti-rules in some categories, but for very, very, very strong rules in other categories. Um, and Chuck's talking about Prop 1. Hmm, interesting. Uh, many <laughs> voted straight ticket no on all propositions like me. You got to be tri- – sometimes you can't just vote no across the board because sometimes, depending on how they frame these things, no is yes. Um, But I don't know. I I tend to look at these things and say, what makes sense? What's the rational thing to do? Um, I'm not one to kind of go down the line, yes, 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 or no, no, no. Well, I do that on tax increases and on bonds. So I will admit that. Mea culpa. Okay, moving on. Um, Let's go back to the rest of the California propositions. Prop 29. this one is overwhelmingly known. This is good news. This is the one that was going to require um, dialysis clinics, kidney dialysis clinics that would have to have a doctor on staff or some other sort of highly trained, highly credentialed medical professional on site. And then again, this is crazy. Um, this is why healthcare is so darn expensive is when you have these requirements to have people that are highly paid, expensive people on site that you likely don't need. Uh, In many cases, some of these functions can be handled by technicians that understand how to operate the machinery, know how to manage uh, cases that are outside of the the boundaries of safety, um, and can make appropriate judgment calls and call in help when necessary. Um, I was happy to see this one go down. And I think a lot of people are starting to see it that way. Um Prop thirty was the mystery one to me. Um, Prop thirty was a, a tax on the super rich. I think you had to make more than two million a year or was it two and a half million a year? so it only would apply to a very very small fraction of the one percent and that money was going to be used to fund electric vehicles and wildfire prevention. This you would think would pass overwhelmingly in California, um, where the people in California love. Adding more and more taxes on rich people. And the rich people generally sort of feel guilty and feel like they need to pay more. Um, and so, and besides, this was going to fund environmental concerns, electric vehicles, fire protection. This one lost. Apparently, Gavin Newsom was against this, and it's losing 58% of the vote. This is incredible to me. I, there's more to this that I just haven't taken the time to learn or understand. Um, But I was just really surprised by this one because on the surface, this should be an easy yes. That's usually how California voters go. Of course, I was a no from the get-go and I was happy to see this go no, but I'm still surprised by it all. Um, And then finally, Prop 31, a ban on flavored tobacco passing overwhelmingly 63.5%, kind of as we expected. Um, But interesting how these races go. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting when you look at all of these ballot propositions, most, if not all of these, could easily have been handled um, at the state legislature level. That our um, elected assembly uh, representatives, our le- our elected state senators, and then ultimately the governor could have passed and signed this legislation at the Sacramento level. And I'm sure the lobbyists behind these these particular propositions would have preferred to do it that way too, because then they wouldn't have had to spend so much money on advertising to get the public to sway. But I think when I see these propositions, what it tells me is that most, if not all of these cases are ones that couldn't pass the state legislature for whatever reason, or perhaps there was some technical reason why they weren't allowed to be handled at that particular level. Perhaps if it was a constitutional change, maybe that's the reason for, in the, in the case of Prop 1. But to me, that's interesting, very interesting. Or maybe the politicians in Sacramento are just too weak and too unprincipled to want to take it on, knowing that it could risk their political future. That's another angle to this that maybe is going unsaid. So fascinating stuff. OK, um, we're at an hour and 11. And I just want to just a couple of very sweeping comments I'll make about the national races. And, you know, there's been huge coverage, of course, of the the um, the governor, excuse me, the uh, Senate race in Georgia, the Senate race in Pennsylvania, a lot of other, you know, Races that are having an impact on the balance of power in Congress, and the Senate, the House of Representatives. One of the interesting angles that's going on in the state of Georgia is that this is another example where if they had ranked choice voting, this vote would be over. It would be done. Uh, But instead, you have Warnock and Walker Neither one of them got 50%. I think they each got like, what was it, 47 or 48%. There's a third-party guy in there. He's a Libertarian Party guy. He got enough of the vote to sway this and to to throw this into a runoff. And I guess they're going to have that election in early December. And a lot of people are really angry at the third-party guy. Like, why are you running? You're a waste of time. You're getting in the way. I'm happy as hell that that guy's in there. Um, He's giving voters an alternative, and clearly the voters that voted for that third-party candidate wanted nothing to do with the Republican or the Democrat. But again, if there was ranked choice voting, then I think this whole thing could have been wrapped up. And I I think we need ranked choice voting, not only at that state level for races like Senate, but also even at our local level. Because even here in the city of Poway and in our, our school district, we have winners that are likely to win with less than a majority. And I think that's a problem, a serious problem. So hopefully the powers that be will adopt ranked choice voting. I'm also really, really pleased to see that most of the Trump backed candidates at the national level lost like Kerry Lake in Arizona. And I mean, Oz in Pennsylvania, um, et cetera, et cetera. That to me is encouraging. Um, and, Because a lot of the policies that Trump backed, in my opinion, are anti-American at their core. Um, You know, America is about freedom. America is about the Statue of Liberty, yet they want to build a wall all along the southern border. In fact, when President Trump now just announced his, um, his candidacy for the 2024 race, he's doubling down on all of those policies. To me, that's just nuts. It's it's an authoritarian angle. It's the exact opposite of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, And we can go down the list of all the other Trump policies, which I've been very vocal about on my podcast. I'm very, very anti-Trump. And to see that the Republican Party is slowly weaning themselves away from Trump and Trump-backed candidates. I mean, he won in 2016, but. His party lost ground in 2018. They lost ground in 2020. And here in 2022, they had an historic opportunity, the Republicans, to take back significant portions of the Senate and the House, and they failed. Normally, in midterms, the opposing party wins. If a Democrat wins the White House in 2020, you would expect the Republicans to do well in 22, especially with crazy inflation especially with all kinds of other chaos and crazy things that are happening in our economy, economic crisis, recession, we're on the cusp of, you know, prices through the roof in just about every category. This should have been a layup for the Republicans to win power in the House and in the Senate. And yet they failed. And the reason I think they failed is because of Trump. Um, People are fed up with Trump and Trump-backed candidates. There is a minority that support them and strongly support them but i think little by little that number is being is declining now the end result i think we're going to see is of course a democrat in the white house i believe a democrat controlled senate and a republican controlled house now i like gridlock <laughs> if you i don't like one of those parties having complete rule and be able to pass their agenda cuz they'll bring up some good things but a lot of bad things now, there's, it's going to be more difficult to pass their agenda. This is good. Gridlock is good. It prevents them from doing more stupid things. Um, so I'm happy to see that. And I'm also happy to see that the Democrats, now that, now that the, Pelosi is no longer going to be Speaker of the House, she has agreed to no longer be the leader of the Democratic Party in the House. That is great news. Um, I think we need to have younger people, people that are reflective of a new generation. We've got too many octogenarians that are running for president or running the Speaker of the House or will soon be octogenarians. Um, We need... Just like with term limits, we need fresh blood, new ideas, new people. We need to come up with new ways of looking at the world and new ways of solving problems rather than these politicians that have been career lifers that are stuck, that are products of the system that they've created and frankly, in many cases, are corrupted by the financial um, angles or the financial funding that comes with supporting their candidacy. Uh, So I'm I'm happy to see Pelosi step down. I'm hoping Trump runs for office and loses badly. That would be good. And I would love to see Biden step down and and announce he's not running in 2024. My fear is, is that because Trump is a candidate, we're going to see Biden run because he may be the only viable Democrat that could defeat Trump because he's done it before. Um, At any rate, however you slice it at the national level, it's a disaster, Mm -hmm. just an absolute disaster. Okay, Um, where are we in the live stream? We're rolling. People are texting me, giving me updates. I will say this. I had an Enchirito tonight. I went to Taco Bell. Have you ever had an Enchirito? They're like the combination of an enchilada and a burrito. These were really popular at Taco Bell. And had one of those tonight, and it was delicious. It was great. They brought it back. And one of my buddies up in San Francisco is a huge fan of the Enchirito. He was happy. So I decided to go and have one. Went out to the Taco Bell and Carmel Mountain Ranch, and it was good. It was really good stuff. So... Um, Go out there, have an Enchirito. I think they're going to be available through the end of the month is what I heard. Um, so you've got to have fast food. That's not a bad one to have. Okay. Um, I think we've covered enough. Uh, this is the John Riley Project. You know, this is episode number 299 of the podcast. Um, incredible, really. And our next episode will be episode number 300. So I'm not sure of what we're going to do. Are we going to do something special or is it going to be just another one on the list as we work our way to – one thousand—that's the goal. All along has been a thousand episodes, and we have just finished episode number two hundred and ninety-nine. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for your support. If you'd like to continue to support the John Riley Project, go to johnrileyproject.com. There you can get on our email list. You can connect on social media, and if you choose, you can financially donate to support this project. Thank you very much, everyone, and have a great holiday week. Bye bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information Please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.